going to continue speaking today and having a conversation around our, our theme for 2024, uh, which is favor. And I, I love this thought. I love this, this thought of the favor and the goodness of God for every one of us. And I encouraged us last week on Vision Sunday to be favor forecasters. I love people that are favor forecasters. When you're a favor forecaster, you, you see it on people in terms of the way that they, they, they engage, the way they interact, and you hear it in their verbiage, uh, in their conversation. Like some people are, are trouble-minded. So consequently, when they talk to you, it's trouble after trouble after trouble after trouble after trouble. Some are problem-minded, and it's problem after problem after problem after... And I'm pretty good at listening to people's troubles and problems because I'm a pastor and it's kind of like it's what we do but there does come a moment when after hearing problem after problem after problem my personality just goes wow <laughs> I can't do this uh, anyone else out there like that I just shut down I, I may be looking at you I may be nodding but behind my eyes I'm just asleep I'm just I, I can't cope with this it's just problem after problem after problem after problem and I, I feel like saying you know what the problem is the problem is you're problem-minded the problem is you're trouble-minded and so it's enhancing the problems it's escalating the mountain of problems and trouble and concern and anxiety around your life so we've got to help you have a better posture we've got to help you have a better a better verbiage a better way that you engage with people because when you're trouble-minded you engage with other people that are trouble-minded and all the trouble-minded people find each other. And all the problem-minded people find each other. And all the favor-minded people find each other. And I would rather be in this conversation. I'd rather be in this conversation. I really would. Um, I kind of arc up. I, I kind of get um, inspired. I kind of get a little bit enthusiastic when people start to speak to me uh, in terms of positive regard and uh, things that are, uh, are happening in life, their expectancy. I, I'm attracted to expectancy. Anyone else like that? It's just the way I'm wired. It's just the way my head works. And so if you're talking to me about your problems, and I'm looking at you with that look, and you think, has he shut down? Yes, he has. <laughs> he shut down. That's why I have a team of people, because I have other people around me that are really good at listening to problems. And you can tell them all your problems. And, and let them know, and, and they will work it out. Is that a good agreement together? Let, let's be favor forecasters. Come on, let's try it. Let's just try and forecast favor. Like, you know, it's like the weather. You walk outside, is it going to rain today? And, and, and you're asking about the weather, and you're looking at what the weatherman's got to say. Well, look at what the weatherman says. Uh, look, look at what the creator and sustainer of the universe says about you, uh, about your future, about your now, uh, even about your circumstances and problems and situations. Look at what he says. And so that's what we want to do. For 2024, be favor for casters. Why were you here? No, we're not here for that. Luke chapter 4 verses 18 and 19 says this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. You know, we need to know why the spirit of the Lord is on us. 
why the Spirit of the Lord is on us. There's a mission. There's a purpose why he's on you. And Jesus here talks about why the Holy Spirit was upon him. It wasn't to make him feel good. It wasn't to make him look good. It wasn't to make him sound good. It was to make him do good. That's what the Spirit was for. And he says, the Spirit is upon me. He's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, and the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. This is a little bit of a launch verse uh, for us in terms of being favor forecasters in that Jesus proclaimed publicly he, he read it from the, the, the scripture as he opened it up on that day. It was, the, it was the planned reading for the day. And he walks in and he unravels the scroll and he reads it. The spirit of God is upon me. He has anointed me. And he says, for these reasons, I'm anointed to bring good news to the poor. He says, I'm anointed to uh, set the, uh, to, uh, I'm sent to proclaim for captives and the oppressed that they will be free and the blind will see. But then he says something that kind of summarizes everything. He says this, he says, I am here to proclaim that the time of the Lord's favor has come. What he's speaking about, I mean, he's speaking about a, a principle uh, in the Old Testament, a practice, which is called the year of Jubilee. And the year of Jubilee was a, it was a pattern, it was a, it was a season, it was a, a, a moment when the children of Israel uh, would practice the setting free of things, the releasing of things. And, and Jesus is making uh, this proclamation uh, about this. You see, in Bible times, if you couldn't pay your debt, if you owed somebody something, then often what you'd find is people had to work like slaves for the one that they were indebted to if they couldn't pay. It's a little bit like us working nine to five. Uh, and so they, they had that kind of deal going on. And so sometimes it meant that a father or a mother or even children uh, were sent off to work away uh, in another place to work for somebody to pay off the family debt. And if you couldn't pay it, they sent you to jail, to debtor's jail uh, is where they sent you. And so this whole concept of jubilee, of being set free, was where debts were cancelled. They were wiped away. Uh, they were forgiven. Slaves were set free. And land that was lost in a tough economic challenging period was returned to the original owner and, and families were reunited. So it's a wonderful thought and concept, this year of jubilee uh, principle that happened once every 50 years. And you can see why it's a, a, a thought for huge celebration for the people that this thought was written to. Now, what Jesus does when he proclaims that the time of the Lord's favor has come, he's not referring to a year, like a physical year, a calendar year. He's referring to an era. He's referring to a new season. He's referring to a whole new day and a new chapter in God's grace story towards humanity. He's referring to a, a, a new introduction of favor that would be released upon people 
because of their relationship, because of their alignment with heaven, with God himself. Now, to fully understand and to fully appreciate what Jesus is doing here and to understand this whole thought of of jubilee, you need to go back into the Old Testament times when people appeared to have this on-off relationship with God. This on-off relationship with God. This thought of, he loves me, he, he loves me not. And they, they never quite really knew and understood uh, where they stood in terms of that relationship. In some moments, it seemed like they had a relationship where God was face-to-face with their leaders, and they were living under the blessing of that, uh, and it was good. But then they would turn away from God, and they would rebel from God, and they wouldn't come to his house, and they wouldn't worship, and they, they didn't present their tithes, and it would affect the whole nation. And the Bible talks about it. It talks about how how bugs were sent to destroy their crops and enemies would take over their cities. And then God would send along a prophet like Malachi or Jeremiah or Isaiah. And they would call the people back, the people of God. They would call them back to uh, repentance. And this was Malachi's message. He says, turn back to the Lord. Return to the Lord. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse again. And as you turn back to God, God will turn back to you and God will bless you. And and we know the history of this, that they did that and they were blessed and their crops were abundant. Their economy started to be strong again until the cycle repeated of neglecting God again and not gathering to God and not giving to God. And so there's always this this cycle sort of experience of on-off relationship with God in the Old Testament until it came to a point where God said, I'm done with this. I'm done with this. I'm done with leaving control in your hands for what this relationship looks like. And so God said, I'm going to turn towards you and I'm going to forever stay turned towards you. I'm going to send my son, the darling of heaven. I'm going to send Jesus, the only son of God, the son that I love so much. I'm going to send him to you. I'm going to give him to you. He's going to be heaven's gift sent to earth for you. He's going to die on a cross he's going to be slain like a lamb his blood will be poured out for the forgiveness of your sins and I want you to know I'm never ever going to turn my face from you again I'm done with this on off thing I'm turned everyone say I'm turned that's what God did that's what God said that's how God operated when he sent Jesus into this world so he made this decision compelled by love that I've turned and I'm forever going to stay with my face turned towards you here's my first big thought when God turned towards us through his son Jesus it was the beginning of a never-ending would you say never-ending a never-ending era of the Lord's favor a never-ending era of the Lord's favor really important we capture this thought this morning because God's favor is based on an everlasting covenant an everlasting covenant that he established with us it's an agreement it's a contract it's something that he put in place with us he put it in place with his children he put it in place with the children of Israel forever to have this covenant that was special 
for them. Jeremiah 32, 40 talks about it. He says, I will make an everlasting covenant with them. And I will never stop doing good for them. And I will put a desire in their hearts to worship me. And they will never leave me. Do you know where the desire to worship God came from for you? It came from God. It came because the spirit of the Lord is upon you. We need to know why the spirit of the Lord is upon us. It's upon us to make us gather, to come together, to be God's people, to be the church, and to do the good things that people in the kingdom of God do. And here, God shows his heart. He he reveals to us his heart which doesn't change Old Testament, New Testament. It doesn't change. The heart of God is, his everlasting covenant is, I want to do good for you. I want to do good for you. Now, when it comes to God favoring us and doing good for us, it's, can you just take it back to where my finger meant to take it? Um, God's favor for us is based purely, purely, solely on relationship. On relationship with him. James says it this way. He says, Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above. It comes down from the Father of lights, the creator and the sustainer of the heavens, in whom there is no variation, there is no rising, there's no setting, there's no shadow. Cast by his turning, for he is perfect and he never changes. Church, I want us to understand today, God has turned his face towards you and there's no variation with that. There's no shadow of that. There's no withdrawing of that. And this father has determined to send down good gifts from heaven to you and to I simply because we are children of God. Isn't that good news? That we are the children of God and we live under that banner of his favor. You know, when we become a favor forecaster, when we, when we start to see everything good is coming down from our father in heaven, what happens is we start to see God in a lot of places that we never noticed him before. Because we see these favor moments, these favor droplets, these good things that God does in our lives. And what they are, they are evidences of God. They are evidences of God because God is always in the good. If it's good, God's in it. If it's good, God's in it. Because every perfect gift comes from our Father in Heaven. What I'm trying to do today is I'm trying to help us believe and to lock into this thought, this declaration that God's favor is in us and God's favor is on us so that when your challenge comes and come it will, when your challenge comes that there be no turning within you. That there be no departing in you because you've got your soul anchored in truth. It's, it's really important what you anchor your soul in and the truth that you anchor your soul in is really uh, important the psalmist says this he says i would have lost heart i would have given up i would have walked away i would have turned away is what he's saying unless i had believed this he said unless i believed i would see the goodness of the lord in the land of the living i don't know what you're looking forward to seeing but i'm looking forward to seeing the goodness of the lord any friends out there i'm looking forward to seeing the favor of the lord i've anchored my heart in that truth 
I've anchored, my, I've decided in my heart, I'm going to host that truth. And can I suggest to you today, the truth you host is so important because the truth you host is the truth that you will hold. And it's a truth that will hold you through every moment, in every dark day, every dark night, every challenge, every awkwardness that you will face in life. The truth you host will hold you. So be careful of the truth you host because it will lead you. It will guide you. That's what truth does. It will lead you and it will guide you. Uh, in the Bible, there's this beautiful story in Luke 15. Three stories, three things that were lost, a coin, a sheep, and a son. And you know particularly the story of the son, uh, the prodigal son, is how we would know it. These two sons that are mentioned, one's a thrill-seeking, fast-living, bad decision-making kind of guy. Uh, his father gives him everything he asks for, everything he wants. He asks for his inheritance early. So his dad gives it to him, knowing that he would go off and he would waste it. And that's exactly what he does. He goes to the city. He wastes all of his money. He loses everything, makes a mess of his life. And when he's at the bottom, he decides, I'm going to go home. I'm going to go back to my father. I'm going to go back to the father's farm. I'm going to go back and I know what I'll do. I'll go back and I'll just ask dad to, to, to downgrade my status. And so rather than going back as a son, I'll just ask if I can come back as a slave. I'll ask if I can come back as a servant because I've got a big debt. I've got to pay to my father. I took the inheritance early. I've wasted it. I've lost it all. I've messed my life up. So I'm not going to come back as a son. I'm going to come back as a slave and I'm just going to serve my dad. And as the story unfolds, what we find is this son who's coming back with this thought of downgrading is walking along the country road and he sees his dad standing at the farm gate. And his dad is at the farm gate looking, and the dad's heart, and I'm sure every mum and dad in the room can capture this this morning, the dad's heart when he sees the son is not worried about what the son's done. It's not worried about where the son's been. It's not concerned about how messed up the son is. It's just, it's my son, my son. And, and, and his heart just leaps out of his chest for his son, hugs his son, and says, I'm so glad you're home. I'm so glad you're home. And the son's going, hey, dad, I... I I, I, I've come home and I, I know I've really, I've disappointed you. I've, I've let you down. I've, I, I've been involved in scandal. Uh, I've ruined the family's name and uh, I'm sorry, but I've got nowhere else to go. Can I come and just live out back and just be a slave and serve you the rest of the days of my life? And the, the, the father says, no way, no way, no way. You're my son. You're my son. And so he announces to the servants, he says, hey, kill the fatted calf. We're having a barbecue tonight. We're having a party tonight because my son's home. Get the ring. Put the ring on his finger. I want the family ring because he probably lost it. Put sandals on his feet. Let's dress him up. Let's get the best robe. This is my son. He's come home. We're going to party. And I love, I love the feel and the emotion and the thought that the writer puts into this story of the prodigal son. I'll tell you why he does it. He does it because you and I are that son. You and I are that son. The whole world is that son. And he does it because he wants to understand that the father is him. He's the father in that story. And this is his heart towards us where he just so desperately wants to upgrade rather than downgrade. You know, God's not here to downgrade you, downsize you, diminish you. God is here to upgrade you, upsize you, promote. That's what God's here for. He's your father. And you're his son, and you're 
his daughter. I just want to pause for a moment, and I just want to give heaven a real thank you just for the fact of God's grace towards all of us this morning as sons and daughters that have wandered away and and come home and found the forgiveness of the heart of God. Would you give heaven just a big thank you this morning? I, I, I forever want to be thankful for that fact that heaven rescued us. But you know, the story doesn't stop with just showing someone mercy. Mercy's beautiful. When you see mercy, mercy is beautiful. Mercy is Mercy is so refreshing when you see it. It's even more beautiful when you experience mercy. When you're the one that experiences that, that forgiveness, that, that embrace of a person or, or heaven uh, itself. And in, in this story, what we see is much more than just mercy. It says in, in verse 22, it says, The father said to his servants, Quick, bring, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger, put, put sandals on his feet, we're going to party. Uh, bring the fatted calf, kill it, let's have a feast, let's, let's celebrate together. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. This is much more than mercy. This is much more than forgiveness and, and compassion. Um, when it's just mercy and forgiveness, it's, it's like you say, well, I forgive you for what you've done. I forgive you for what you've done. This is total restoration. This is total redemption. This is a picture of a good father that goes beyond mercy and shows undeserved favor. Undeserved favor to a son because the father is committed to relationship. See, it's not about your performance. And some of us need to hear this today. It's not about your performance. It's not about what you've done. It's not about those things. It's not about that at all. It's about the relationship that you have with this father in heaven. The father in the story showered him with undeserved gift, the best gifts, through the best party. And the son who experienced it was was kind of like we are with the forgiveness of our sins. He was, he was a little bit uncomfortable with it because he kind of thought, no, I need to work my way back. I need to earn my way back. I need to go out back and be a slave. I just need to serve in the shadows and, and forget the fact that I'm a son and just be a, a servant for the rest of my life. And he kind of tried to resist a little bit. The other brother, when he heard it, he heard it, there's my American here, when he heard it, when he heard the noise of the party and the celebration and the shouts of joy uh, of the father, when he saw the wandering brother home all dressed up in his best robe and the big ring on his finger and the smart new sandals that he had on his feet, when he saw him walking around the home like he owned the home again, he thought that was a little bit unjust. And he's like, really? What the heck? Dad, I've been here. So you've never thrown a barbecue for me. You, we've never had pork ribs for my mates. You, you've never done anything for me in terms of, of, of this. He says, I know it's your son, but this is way over the top. And friends, I want to suggest to you that everything God does is way over the top because God's favor originates in his grace. It originates in his grace. Most of us are aware of what grace means, uh, the definition of grace, that thought of it being God's unmerited favor. And grace isn't fair. We don't deserve it, but we receive it. And it's the same with favor. 
Favor's not fair because life's not fair. You ever heard anyone say life's not fair? It's not. It sucks. It's not fair. Favor is not fair either. It's not fair because it comes from heaven. It comes from heaven. It's not deserved. It's given unreservedly to every one of us. The definition of a prodigal is really interesting. The definition of a prodigal is this. is someone that spends money and uses resources freely and recklessly, bearing or being wastefully extravagant, having or giving someone something on a lavish scale, being generous, lavish, liberal, unstinting, unsparing, and bountiful. And so if you do that, you would be deemed as being a prodigal. Now we read this story and it's labeled and it's titled in your Bible by the people that put things together as the prodigal son because of the reckless manner that he wasted his inheritance. But what we actually see is we also see the father behaving in a way that could be suggested is also reckless, is also out of extravagant abandonment, and is also prodigal. So it could literally have titled the prodigal father rather than the prodigal son. And that the father was just so lavish and so liberal and so over the top because it was his son. And this father in this figure, in this piece of scripture, is a picture of who God our father is for us. And it's understanding for us that God's favor to us or on us is based purely on our relationship with him. It's based purely on the relationship that he has established with us. Now, to understand favor, we need to go back into its origin in terms of grace, in that favor was done or granted to us out of God's will, goodwill to us, rather than a sense of justice or a sense of remuneration for good behavior. Favor is unmerited, it's unwarranted, it's unearned, it's, it's, it's undeserved. You see, favor is what God does to us and towards us as an outworking of his grace, of who God is. Favor is literally about who God is. Favor actually has little to do with us. It's got everything to do with the person of God, who he is, and how he operates, and how he behaves towards us. Why is all this important? It's important because most of us battle with our instincts because we feel as if we in some way need to qualify ourselves to receive the favor of God, just like we do in terms of forgiveness, that we in some way need to pay a price ourselves for the forgiveness of sins. The only price we need to pay is say yes and receive Jesus into our hearts. The only price we need to pay is give up. The only price we need to pay is to follow God with the rest of our lives and give the best of our life to God. That's the price we pay. He paid all the price for us when he died on the cross of Calvary for us. And so a lot of Christians assume that God's degree of approval of them is based on their behavior. They, agree, they, they, they think that God's approval is based on how we 
behave. And the effect of that is that people try and do their best but continually fall short. Try and do their best but continually have this sense of failure, this continued thought of disappointment, that God is disappointed in me, that God somehow tolerates me. Can I suggest to you this morning that God is not a tolerator, he's a celebrator. God does not tolerate you, he celebrates you. He didn't tolerate his son when his son came home and said, well, all right then. You spent the, you've wasted the inheritance. Come and live out back, and you know we'll give you a singlet and and a pair of volleys to put on your feet, and you can care for the sheep for the rest of your life. And you just live out there with the servants, and you'd be one of them. No, he didn't tolerate him. He celebrated him. He lifted him. I'm so glad Jesus lifted me. Aren't you? We used to sing that song, all those over 100 would remember it. I'm so glad Jesus lifted me. I'm so glad Jesus lifted me. I'm so, I know some of you know it and you're not singing it. You're sitting there trying to look as if you don't know it. I know you know it. I'm so glad. Some of those old time songwriters, they hosted some real truths that held them through some really tough seasons, being so glad that Jesus lifted me. The desire I have to worship is a God-given desire. The desire I have to gather is a God-given desire. The desire I have to be family spiritually is a God-given desire. Why? Because the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and the Spirit of the Lord is upon you. Anyone believe that in the room today? I believe that. I believe the Holy Spirit is upon us, so that we would do the kind of things that Jesus would do. That we would go about doing good as heaven said. So this truth that we host in terms of believing to live in the favor of God is so important. Because it will hold you when you're in unfavorable circumstances. Anyone ever been in unfavorable circumstances? Anyone thought that favor was far from them? Anyone ever thought favor, favor, where are you? I can't find you. Yeah, we've, we've all had those moments. So these assumptions about having to strive for and having to reach for and having to kind of overcome the thought about disappointment and God being disappointed in us, these assumptions and imaginations, they're like termites of trust. Have you ever had termites in your home? We've had them in this building. And what they do is behind the walls, they eat things out. They eat the frame out. And the problem with eating the frame out is the wall looks good until the frame's all gone and then the wall falls down. It falls down. And Jesus told a story about that, didn't he? About being a wise builder who built on a good foundation uh, of truth, of his word. And and this is why the truth we host and the truth we hold is so important to us. Because it can look like truth, but behind the veneer, there's nothing there because it's been termited. And I, I find for a lot of people, there's this termited thing that has gone on because they've hosted the wrong kind of truth. They've hosted a truth they thought was a truth that wasn't a truth at all. And so the truth we hold and the truth we host, it's very important to make sure it is the truth. The challenge for us is not gaining God's approval, but it's accepting God's approval. My challenge is not gaining it, it's accepting it, it's embracing it, it's engaging with it, it's staying engaged with it. To know that I am good now, I am good enough now for every one of us to know that. Let me speak into your head and heart for a moment. You are all that. You are all that. You're all that heaven says you are. 
You're not all that because you're all that. You're all that because he's all that. That's the only reason you're all that. You're all that heaven wants for you. You're all that heaven plans for you. You're all that heaven thinks for you. When that prodigal father would look out down the road and think, where's my son? And he's wondering where his son is is and what his son's doing. The whole time in his heart, he's hosting the truth. He's my son. He's my son. And I love him. And I just want him to come home. And so rather than living for approval, this son had to engage with this sense of approval and come back and live approved. Can I suggest to you today that you're always going to struggle until you can get to the level of understanding I'm going to live approved. I'm not going to live for approval. I'm just going to live approved. I'm going to live with a big A on my head. Do you have an A on your head? A big A on your head. Approved. Stamped. Sealed by the Holy Spirit, which is what the Bible says we are. Sealed by the Holy Spirit with a big A approved because God's favor is not about who you are. It's about whose you are. It's about whose you are. It's about who owns you. It's about who has relationship with you, who gave everything for you. Uh, God gave so much. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians, he says this, I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. When God said that, he was providing the best evidence, the surest evidence of his never-ending ongoing favor for every one of us. God wants us to understand that favor flows from him as father because he's good towards us as children. Jesus spoke of it and said, if you then being evil, if you then being human, uh, know how to give good gifts to your children, and we do that. I mean, how many, how many dads in the room, how many mums in the room give nasty gifts to their kids? Like how many kids uh, have received a snake for Christmas? Alana received a snake this week. You probably saw it on Facebook. If you haven't, go to their Facebook because what you'll see is this dirty great big snake about three meters long, I reckon. How long was that snake? About three meters long decided to be a gift to them. Just outside of their back area, I think, and on the clothesline area, all wrapped around there. And if you look on the social media video, you see the snake open up its mouth and like, go to bite. And, and Brad... After coming to the men's breakfast, here's a very good reason, Pastor Darrell, for the men to come to the men's breakfast, to come to courageous men. Do you know what he did? He went home after being with the courageous men, and courage must have been in his heart. He went home, and he alone, he alone delivered Alana of the nightmare of that snake. And there's a video of Brad expelling this snake from the, what a man, what a man, what a mighty fine man. What a man, Brad. So proud. Why did I say that ridiculous story? Oh, oh, the gift of snakes. We don't give our kids snakes, unless they like snakes. We don't give our kids snakes. We give them good gifts. That's, That's what we do. And here, Jesus talks about the fact that How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Good things to those who ask him. I think heaven's attracted to those with an expectancy for favor. I think heaven's attracted to that. Like if I was God, I'd get sick of everybody's problems. Like honestly, um, like everyone calling up heaven all the time. Hi, it's Tony. I've got a problem. It's like, really? 
Is that all I'm here for? Just problem after problem after problem after problem after problem. Can, can, can I just see someone that's expecting a little bit of favor for a change and, 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 and I can work with that? I, this problem thing, I, the problem with problems is I'm finding it hard to work with problems because people are so problem-minded. If I were God, everyone say, if I were God. Aren't you glad I'm not God? Aren't you glad you're not God? Aren't you glad God's God and God's got it and that he's a good God and that he's a good father and he wants to do good things. And so we should be confident of God bringing favor and good things uh, into our life. He wants us to know him and to see him and perceive him and engage with him and pray to him and ask him and interact with him, believing that he will do good things in our lives, that he would bring favor into our lives. God's got no problem with the ask. We have because we're too proud and we think we can do it ourselves and we think we'll work it out and we'll think we'll make a way and God wants us to understand every good gift that comes into your life comes from the hand of heaven whether you know it or not whether you realize it or not whether you give thanks for it or not that good gift comes from God so church let's live let's live confident in God's favor towards us let's live that way let's live in confidence towards God's favor for us I I think sometimes people are so afraid of of being perceived as being arrogant or um, overly confident that they live with a, a sense of a lack of confidence about being a son and daughter of God and the expectancy of what that relationship would bring into our world Uh, I don't think arrogance or overconfidence is ever attractive or ever a good thing. I think humility is always a good thing. But humility uh, is not this thing that lays low and and just out of sight. It's like, that's that's not humility at all. Humility is actually strength. Humility is actually someone that knows their place. Humility is someone that knows, as Brad said before, God's God and God controls my money. God controls that. Brad talked about it. Uh, it's, it's all God. Uh, humility is coming under the hand of God like that and understanding that and understanding God's place and then also understanding our place in relationship with God. So favor is a truth that's founded in the promises of God towards every one of us. Just like in the Old Testament where he says, I've made a never-ending covenant. You know, I looked up that thought of never-ending. Do you know what it means? There is no end. Sometimes I surprise myself with my brilliance when I research things. That never ending actually means never ending. It actually means there is no end point. It means there is no such thing as an expiry date. It means that it will last forever and ever and ever and ever. So it means I haven't missed it. Because sometimes people live with that thought, I've missed it. I've messed it, so I've missed it. You may have messed it, but you haven't missed it. That's the news and the good news of the prodigal son story to us. You may have messed it, but just because you messed it doesn't mean you've missed it. If you'll just come home. If you'll just come home. Because all the Father in heaven wants is his sons and daughters home. And while you're out there trying to do it your own way, the mess is only going to get messier. The best thing you can do in a mess is stop. It's just stop. Because when you're in a mess, unless you know the truth of what to do, 
the next thing you do is probably going to only enhance the mess. And it's just going to get messier. So my message to you that are in a mess today is stop and return and come back to God and come back to his heart and come back to his house and come back to his home to do that. See, some people are messed up. Like I mentioned the money area just before. People get so messed up in the money area in church life because of the excesses of that in church life. And yes, there has been excesses and mistakes made with that uh, right across the world. People get hung up about that. This whole concept of giving to God and tithing, as Brad talked about, it's mentioned New Testament, it's Old Testament, because it's all part of relationship. Because at the end of the day, the transaction of honoring God with our finances is really a transaction about the heart. And that's why the prophet Malachi would come to Israel and say, you need to return to God as a prophet. And the prophets weren't like pastors. They weren't nice. Like some people think, I'm not nice. Let me tell you, next to Malachi, man, I am really nice. Really nice. Next, next, to, next to Jeremiah, next to Isaiah, next to these prophets that would come and speak the word of God to the nation, pastors today are like, they're like mums. You know, in the family, mum's always the nice one. Mum's, mum's, mum's that one for, for most people. And it's like, the dad is like, you wait until your dad gets home. Dad, dad always has to play that, that disciplinarian role, that the, the, the fear factor is always there with dad, you know, and, and, and mums speak to dad. This is how it works. This is marriage 101 right here now. A uh, bit of coaching. Uh, what happens is the mums speak to the kids about what the dad's going to do if they don't do the right thing. And then the mums tell the dads what they want them to do to the kids. So the dad loses all round. He's got no hope. So that's why us dads need to stay together in this courageous men thing. We need to help each other. We need to stand with each other. Because all the dads in the room, you know what I'm saying, don't you? you? You know what I'm saying? God just wants us home. It's what He wants. We get our lives in a mess when we host a truth that's foreign, when we host a truth that leads our heart away. If your truth leads you away, if your truth leads you away from family, from friends, from faith, from the heart of God, from the house of God, it's not truth. It's not truth at all. See, the the prodigal son, he thought he was being led away with truth. It wasn't truth. It was something else leading him away. If If your truth involves separation all the time, there's something wrong with that truth. And that truth needs to be challenged. Careful the truth you hold. Let's stand to our feet. Right across the room. If you're at home today, why don't you just put yourself in a posture where you can just receive from God for, for just a moment. Every perfect gift, the Bible says, comes down from heaven. I'm, I'm purposely this year with our team focusing around this thought of favor for our lives individually, but for our lives corporately. Because for us to be 
favored corporately, it requires for us to be favored individually. And I want to hear your stories as we journey. So if you've got the stories of, of just the little ways, because favor comes in little packages, just the little favor stories, tell us. We want to hear them. We want to celebrate them. We want to celebrate the favor of God with you. We want to pray for it, that we would come into a season of increased favor. We've got every right to be confident about that. We've got every right to expect that. We've got every right to pray that. We've got every right to believe that, project that, proclaim that. Jesus proclaimed it. That's why the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim this favor. And I think that God just wants to make us much more attractive And favor, you know, favor looks good on you. It does. It looks really good on you. Ask the prodigal son. He came home smelling like pigs. He came home, he had the pig mud and everything else all over him. He came home with clothes that were ratty tatty. He he had the bottom hanging out of his world. I said that right, didn't I? Yes. It was not good. He didn't smell good. He didn't look good until he came home. Hot shower, shampooed the hair, blow dried the hair, had a shave, put on the new threads, put on his Nike new kicks, RM Williams. Bit of aftershave, sat down at the table. And like she said, he wasn't there to take photos of that food. He wasn't there to send selfies of his, me and the lamb. He was, you imagine the ravenous nature that his hunger had in that moment. That's what God wants to do for you and for me and for us. Would you bow your heads for just a moment? I want to speak to people in the room today. I want to speak to people online today. And, you know, if I'm talking to you, I'm talking to you. I'm talking to everybody. But if I'm talking to you right now, I'm talking to you. And I'm talking to you because I want to talk on behalf of God to you for a moment. And I want to give you this message. And the message is this. The mess that you're in is a mess that will increase. The mess that you're in is a mess that will get messier until you stop And you find God's truth about who you are, why you're here, and what you're to do. And your promise is not to live in that mess and not to be a mess and not to promote the mess. Your promise is found in coming home. Your promise is found in your heart coming home to the Father heart of God. Your promise is found in coming home to heaven. Your promise is found in what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross of Calvary when he laid down his life so that you could have life. The favor you want, the good things that you want, the life that you want, the future that you want, it's not found in the mess. It's found in the message. And the message is come home. The message is come home. The message is give up. The message is realize you're a son. You're not a slave. You're not a servant. You can't make your own way. You can't work this out yourself. The message is Jesus has already made a way. The message is Jesus has already paid the price. The message is God loves you. 
the message is God could not love you any more than he possibly could right now. The message is give up. The message is surrender. The message is lay your life down. The message is the way to get your heart right is to get your head right. The message is God can work this out. The message is God can change everything and anything. The message is heaven has so much favor for you, unimaginable favor, a ridiculous favor that heaven wants to bring upon you because you are a son or daughter of God. So who are you? Where are you? Who are you and where are you? Come home. Come home. That's my call to you today. See, we all want favor, but favor has a pathway. And it's a pathway called relationship with God. It's a pathway called sonship, daughtership. It's a pathway of knowing who you are and who you're meant to be. It's a pathway of asking Jesus to come into your heart like he promises to do. And I know most people in this room have done that today. And most people online have done that today. I'm talking right now to the ones that don't know that, haven't done that, and need to get that right. So I want to help you today. This is not a magic prayer that makes everything right, but it is a, it is a moment. It's a supernatural moment that is like a doorway for you to enter. It, it's, it's a doorway moment for you to walk through and, and say, I, I want to become that. I want to be confident of that. I want to be that son. I want to be that daughter. I want to be that one. I want to know. I want to live. I want to understand. And so if you're here this morning or you're online today, I'm going to ask you in a moment to lift up your hand. And lifting up your hand is simply saying, I want to, Jesus. I need to, Jesus. I need to have you in my life more. I need to have your forgiveness for my sins. I need to have your hope for my future. If that's you today, I'm going to ask you in a moment to lift up your hand nice and high. I'll see your hand. If you're online in the chat, if you could just say, pray for me. And one of our team will follow up with that. Praying for me is saying, Jesus, would you come into my heart? Would you save me from my sins? Would you make that path clear for me? And we'll talk to you about that if you're online today. But if you're in the room, I'm going to ask you to lift up your hand. I'll acknowledge you. I'll see your hand. And I'm going to ask you then to put your hand down. And I'm going to pray for you. You can stay right where you are. I'll stay where I am. Because the intention is not to embarrass you. The intention is just to highlight you to heaven. That's what this is about. It's about you knowing there's a moment, there's a touch point where you can say to yourself, I surrendered at that moment. I gave my life to Jesus on that moment. So if you're in the room today, if you're online today, right now, put in the chat, pray for me. If you're in the room, right across the hall today, no matter who you are, this is only concerning you right now. While everyone else has their head bowed, their eyes closed, would you lift up your hand nice and high if that's you today? And you want to say to heaven, I want to surrender. I want to surrender me. I want to surrender my mess to you. I want to give up. I want to say yes to Jesus. I want to invite him into my world and into my life today. If you're in the room, right across the room, lift up your hand this morning. Let me see your hand. By lifting your hand, you're simply identifying yourself. Yes, I want to do this today. If you're online in the chat right now, pray for me. Pray for me. Pray for me. Let me pray for you today. Father, in Jesus' name today, 
I pray for people that are evaluating right now. I pray for people that are weighing up right now. I pray for people that are on that point of decision right now that you'd help them to walk through that doorway, make that decision, surrender their heart, surrender their life to Jesus Christ and everything he's done for them, that they might come and live in the unimaginable favor of what it is to be a son and daughter of God, to have this everlasting covenant proclaimed over our lives in Jesus' name today, that you would be our Father that always does good for us. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Church, we're going to close this morning with this beautiful hymn, You're Worthy of It All. Why don't you lift your hands? Let's worship God this morning. Come on. You're worthy of it all.